All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 7. And we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your word. And um, it's a midweek, it's a good time of refreshing. We know that times of refreshing come from being in your presence, and that's what we need. And so we pray that we'd find rest. And as Paul answers many of the questions that the Corinthians had about specific issues, I pray that you'd help us to hear what you had to say uh, through Paul, by your Holy Spirit. Help us to receive everything and um, to be obedient to your word. Um, that's a, it's a new thing, it seems like, uh, to not only hear the word, but to be obedient to it. And so, Lord, um, that's our heart. We want to be obedient to you. So, Lord, prepare us for that. To know that you're always looking out for our best, that's by grace and mercy that you share your word with us, because you're trying to improve us, you're trying to conform us into your image, and um, we need that. In Jesus' name, amen. Being conformed into the image of Jesus isn't always easy, and this is one of those chapters that isn't very easy. Um, it's about marriage, it's about divorce, it's about widows, it's about people that have, are single, um, these are specific questions that uh, the Corinthians have asked Paul to respond to. We know that this is his second letter. It says 1 Corinthians, but we know this is his second letter based off what we've read earlier. Um, so he's written to them, given them some basic understanding, some principles to follow as a Christian. And we like that. And those are very good if we can receive them and just let those be our standard to guide us through specific situations. You know, some broad general rules to um, help us through specific situations, and that's what we want. Well, that wasn't enough, obviously. And the Corinthians wrote Paul a letter and said, could you explain some of these specific issues that we're having? Now, they've got a lot of issues. This church is, ha has a lot of difficulty, a lot of division. Um, they have a lot of um, immorality in their church, um, and they were okay with that. Um, the, 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 the city of Corinth was... I mean, it's just a horrible place as far as um, human suffering and human abuse um, and sin in general. It was a horrible place. Um, strange habits that they had. And you can read history books on all that to discover what those were. I don't want to get into the details tonight, but a lot of, a lot of prostitution in the name of the God that they worshiped and so on. So a lot of sexual immorality, especially. And with that came a lot of concerns about the flesh versus the spirit because I think when, you, when you're confronted with everything you know is wrong, when the Corinthians would come to Christ, everything they knew culturally was wrong. Everything had to change. And that's a, that's a huge pill to swallow or a, a large task to undertake. And so the tendency would be to soften that blow a little bit. Certainly not everything. Certainly some things are okay. And to try to find some redeeming value of living in Corinth, you know, certainly not all of it. I mean, can I, are fish okay? You know, you, you try to reach at anything. Can I eat fish? Can I, can I, can I do this still? Or can I do that? And as they discovered God's word, as they let the Holy Spirit work in their lives, they realized as they walked further with the Lord, how much had to change. Now, the danger was for the Corinthian church, and this is the segue into Calvary Chapel 2022, is that as we go through God's word, as we mature as believers over years and years of walking with him, 
we discover that he's going to change everything. He may not have let us know that when we first got saved, but when we came to Christ, he gave us a few things we're going to work on. And then next year, a few more things we're going to work on. And pretty soon we begin to change. And now that I'm older, I've walked with the Lord for a very long time, decades now, I realize he's changing everything about me. Everything's on the block. I've got a decision I have to make when I realize that. And the Corinthians have a decision they have to make when they hear this. Do I want to be changed completely? Or do I want to stop? Is this far enough? Is this good enough? I've had it. This hurts too much. That's too much a part of me. I can't let that go. And you begin to justify those sins in your life and say, this is good. I'm saved. I'm okay. There's grace. There's mercy. All things are lawful. You begin to pull scriptures because you're pretty far along in the Lord. You begin to pull scriptures out to justify not being changed, to not letting go of deeper things. And I would encourage us to let God go deeper with us. We have a problem in the church today. It's a trending problem. I see it. And not everybody, but a lot of churches are falling into the trap of, in this chapter, Paul exclaims, not the Lord, but I. In other words, this isn't a commandment from God. This isn't something you've ever read in Scripture, but by my estimation. And they grab onto that with both hands. (laughs) Finally, something we can throw out. Something that's Paul's opinion, not God's opinion. Something that we can jettison. That was a close one, you know. And it's happening with some of the biggest names in Christianity. And they're pulling at that saying, well, that's just Paul's opinion. He even says so in Scripture. Well, I want to stop right there. And I understand that he does say that. And I believe that's what he meant when he wrote it. But at the end of this chapter, that's why you read everything in context. Although he does admit that this is my opinion, this is my estimation, he ends with, but I have the Spirit of Christ. So he's trying to put some authority on there saying, I don't think I'm speaking on my own authority. I have the Spirit of Christ. I believe that I'm actually saying something that God would want me to say. That's very important to grab onto. Later on, Peter, we all love Peter. Peter's super saved. He was a great guy who got changed and transformed, filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people got saved at the first sermon coming out of the upper room. That's pretty good. Well, Peter himself says that all of Paul's epistles, all of Paul's writings are Scripture. He made them equivalent to every other passage in the Bible. And I think that's the second stamp or the second witness for Paul's writings to be God-breathed. I had to let you all have all of that, because this is a tough chapter. Now, it used to be 50% divorce rate. It's not the case anymore. It's about 75% now. When you run into somebody on the street and you talk about their life, they can point to several people in their lives that have been divorced or gone through that scenario. It isn't 50% anymore. It's about 75%. It's very rare. It's more rare to have a marriage that lasts decades than it does to not. And so when you talk about chapter 7, all sorts of wounds can sometimes get opened up. Healing that had been taking place and had scarred over and begun to uh, form new flesh and you're doing okay now and you read something like this and you go all the way back to 
the beginning and say, I don't know. And you, you doubt everything. Don't do that tonight. I want to encourage you in that. Don't go there. As with anything in God's word and in scripture, you, you're, you're where you are today. There is absolutely nothing you can do about the past. You're where you are today. And it's from here forward that matters. Because this chapter can't be skipped for the sake of how much damage it could do to someone who lets it do damage to them. Because it's designed to prevent more damage. You can't stop talking about things that God is displeased with or what God is pleased with for the sake of feelings because you're, you've got generations growing up in the church that need to hear this before they fall into, well, the problems that are associated with these things if we don't obey God's word. So it has to be taught. I'm not apologizing for it. I'm just preparing us, I think, to first of all, have grace and mercy in your hearts, not only for each other, but for yourselves. There's grace and mercy, and we start there. Verse 1, chapter 7. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote to me. Obvious. Now we know why he's writing these things. And there'll be several chapters of this. But 7 is all we're going to cover tonight. 8 continues on with more of their questions. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. (laughs) Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality... Let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. And that's our first break tonight. Well, we've learned so far that I don't have control over my body and my wife doesn't have control over her body, which is very even and equal and appropriate. It's very important to understand that, that my body is hers and her body is mine. And what an amazing gift that is to give to each other permission and exclusive rights to those things. It's very important to understand God wants that from us, to serve each other in these areas. So he answers the question for them. Their obvious question was, hey, what about this? Because they don't know what biblical marriage looks like. They have no idea. Many of them have multiple wives. Many of the women have multiple husbands. There could have been prostitutes saved who no longer have shaved heads, but are starting to let their hair grow for the first time. And it may only be two inches long right now. And sir, they're trying to figure out, I grew up in the Corinthian temple. At the age of 12, I was brought there to become a priestess or whatever it is that they called themselves at the time. They don't know anything else. They have no idea. We are living in a world like that today. There are many kids growing up that from their birth have been indoctrinated into this world and the things of this world. And they don't have any idea what it's like to look at a biblical marriage, to see what God intended. And so they're asking some very 
obvious questions, but I'm so glad they're asking those questions, you know? I want to do this right. That, that means they want to do it right for the most part. I mean, some people ask questions to see if they can get away with stuff. But for the most part, these questions are probably very honest and saying, what does this look like? What's it supposed to be? And Paul says, well, I'd rather you not touch a woman. Now, what he means by that is, and Paul is going off of verse, I think, 25 or 29, I don't remember which, that the time is short. This is one of his first letters that he ever wrote. And they're thinking, yeah, I don't know about marriage. Just keep looking up at the sky. Jesus is coming back any day now. And that's a great way to live. And we want to live that way today. But over time, he also writes chapter 5 of Ephesians, which is much later on in his ministry, where he says, oh, marriage. Marriage is a beautiful picture of Christ in the church and goes on and on about how what a great comparison that is to our walk with Jesus. So his opinion changes about it in the sense that there's an urgency about living your life in such a way that's unencumbered by the things of this world. And here's what I mean. Marriage is temporary. A lot of people don't like to hear that because you're madly in love with your spouse and you assume you're going to be married in heaven and you won't be. It's temporary. I'll give you some scriptures here. In Matthew 22, verse 30, they tried to catch Jesus in this argument of the law stated that if a woman's husband died, the next brother was responsible for giving her a child. And if he didn't, then the next brother and the next brother. And this crazy scenario, like unbelievers do, it was God so big that he can't make a rock, you know, so big that he himself can, dumb questions that they come up with. So it's one of those scenarios, and Jesus says, you're mistaken. Have you never read? Which is all those guys did, and that's why they thought they were so sharp, is they got Jesus caught in a a no-win scenario. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. In other words, individuals. You're not one flesh with anybody up there but yourself. It's, it's you. There is no marriage. And so, although I love Jenny, and we're going to spend our lives together down here and, and garden and do our thing, and when I get to heaven, I, we may pass each other. Wings might brush up. I don't know if we get wings or not. Hopefully we do. I want to fly. Um, but it's like, hey, you know, sister in the Lord, brother in the Lord, fellow worshiper of Jesus, there is no like cohabitation or anything like that up there. And so given that, Paul is thinking from that perspective. He's thinking, well, marriage, okay, For for the next two weeks until Jesus comes, we really don't need to be that concerned about marriage. I guess stay where you are. This is basically where you can stay married if you're married. If you're unmarried, don't get married. Um, If your daughter's still at home, don't worry about planning a wedding. You ain't going to be here for it. You know, uh, that kind of thought. That's the idea. But he changes over time. He's like, I don't think he's coming back as fast as he thinks he is. It's going to be a while. So we do need to, and that's where Ephesians 5 comes from and explains marriage. So that being said, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, and he's talking about fornication, any kind of sex outside of marriage, because of that, because that's a real possibility, and because you... Most people don't have that gift of celibacy, which he's going to talk about. You need to get married. You need to get married for that purpose. Is that the only reason we get married? Yes. No. (laughs) No, but it's a very important reason. It's a very important reason. Paul says just for that reason alone, get married. I mean, there's other reasons, but it's important. Let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. One. That's it. 
There's one place to go for that. There's one well to get that drink from. That's it. There's no other places. You don't get to, you know, as a single person, go from person to person to person to person because you're just, you know, fulfilling the lust of the flesh so that you can be spiritual. No, no, no. You need to get married so that that is a release. That hunger that can be met is the idea. With that, he describes how long and how short those durations should be without having access to one another. Let the husbands render to his wife the affection due her. Now, that might not always be physical. Like you need men. Sometimes it's more than that. It's different. The physical's the exclamation point at the end of the entire paragraph of emotions that needed to be met. It's important, but it isn't the substance. It isn't the goal. It's the, it's the end, you know. But there needs to be a lot more going on there. And for men and women, please understand this. A lot of them, not me, of course, are just looking for the exclamation point. Because that is the most important part. That is what satisfies that hunger. That does take away the thoughts and everything that goes along with it. That's the point. You know, let's get rid of that. You know, it's like going to the refrigerator and I don't care. If, I don't want to make a meal. What's left over, you know, kind of thing. I can heat it up really quick because I just, I'm hungry. So a lot of guys think that way too. Not all. I don't mean to lump everybody into the same category, but that is often the case. So you need to let each other. If you're not going to let each other, it says this, do not deprive one another except for consent for a time. You both agree. We're going to fast and we're going to pray. But then you need to come back together again quickly, and here's why, so that Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There's a real danger there. I understand a lot of things, uh, come to understand, I think, (laughs) a lot of things about young couples getting married. I encourage it. Um, I have a different perspective than a lot of people do, but I I encourage young couples to get married. I need to get mature, get stable, be 25, 26, 27 years old. Sometimes it's not up to you. It's just whenever God wants, but for the most part, you... You want to make sure that you don't bring into the marriage, men, years and years and years of sin because you've been meeting those needs yourself and to bring that into the marriage and have to deal with that the rest of your life. That sin is crippling at times for couples and comes up later on in life. It doesn't come right away, but it shows up. And that's when counseling needs to take place. And a lot of healing and a lot of confession and a lot of understanding and a lot of grace and mercy. I'm never an advocate for sin over stability, ever. Neither should we. None of us should be. It's a very dangerous and real problem in the world. And I believe that's probably where 75% of the divorces come from, is this issue right here. A lot of it. Money. It's probably a good second. But this right here, not understanding each other and each other's needs... Causes bitterness, causes distance, causes coldness, causes us to go to other wells. It's a very dangerous thing. For men, 
It's obvious the internet, things like that can lead us into those areas. Immediate gratification, fast food, we might call it McDonald's, Burger King online, you know, kind of stuff. But for women, it's the guy who'll stop and listen. It's the guy who'll talk to me. It's the guy who'll listen to my heart, not always come up with solutions, but want to hear my heart on the matter and want to understand me and know that it's not about the fix. It's about the, the release. It's about the, the sharing, you know. And of course, that leads to, unfortunately, with women, an exclamation point. Because that's almost the thank you for listening to me in some cases. And for men, well, and girls, please don't misunderstand me, but those guys that are listening, they're listening for the exclamation point. So it's not a good well to go to anyway. Okay. Your husband is your husband. And here's the thing. When you deny your flesh, when you deny yourself from going to these other places, it forces you to confront one another and to talk to each other about it. It forces it. If you begin to just take care of things like that, then you never talk about it. You never get to the issue and it never gets resolved. And you have decades and decades and decades of marriage of, in, of, of well, immorality, but um, unfaithfulness, either from the heart or from the flesh or whatever. And it's a very dangerous place to be. So Paul's trying to correct this. Look, if you're married, that's the one. That's the only place you can go. And wives, let them. And guys, she can't go anyplace either. So listen and let her. And you don't own each other's body. You don't get to say no. They get to say no about you. You don't have any say in that. And so he gives rid of, it's not your right. It's hers and it's his. And they have authority over you. Oh, that solves it, doesn't it? Never put it that way. Well, Paul says, let's get to the point. Now, you can abstain from one another if you want to, provided you can fast. So how long can you guys and gals go without food? That's how long you wait. I bet half of us haven't gone three days. Everybody's different. Every couple is different. I'd never put a number on it. I'd never put a number on it. But he gives us some guidelines here. Because some don't have the appetite, some have the appetite. Depends on the couple. And God, Paul is leaving it up to them. It's between you two. It's consensual. It's about you, each other. If you want me to answer the question, fine. I'd say stay away from each other as long as you, you know, can. But if you can't, don't wait another day. Let Satan come in and tempt you. And everybody needs to hear that. Even if you're on your second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth marriage, you need to hear that tonight. Because it solves a lot of the problems. It helps anyway. So he says, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. I'm not ordering it. Of course not. This is what you've asked me. I, I, I think this is best. I mean, don't get married at all if you can wait. Because it's only two weeks before Jesus comes. You get the idea. I've gone there. But if you can't, if you can't possess your body, if you don't have that gift, then you need to find a wife for I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own gift from God. One in this manner and another in that. Well, what's this gift? And what manner is Paul? 
Paul is either widowed or divorced. We don't know which. Most assume divorced, but it could be widowed. Divorced because he became a believer in Jesus Christ, and by law, she could leave him. Perhaps she didn't. We know that he was married at one point, because to be a rabbi, you had to be married. To be a part of the Sanhedrin, you definitely had to be married, and he said he was. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a part of the 70 of the Sanhedrin. So he says, I wish that you could remain as I do, but each one has its own gift. So Paul apparently had that gift afterwards of celibacy. He was able to eh, take it or leave it, left it, obviously. But not everybody has that gift. In fact, most don't have that gift. In Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Now, I bring that verse up uh, because (laughs) in Christianity, we're afraid to talk about these things publicly because, and it is private, of course, but I get the wonderful opportunity to make it public. Um, We can get the idea that that is dirty, naughty. And is done in the dark at night when no one's around and nobody knows. You know, and we do that. We don't talk about that. Almost as if it needs to be hidden. And I'm all for privacy. Don't get me wrong. But we never want to make the mistake of premarital sex, fornication, or extramarital sex, adultery, as equal to or as bad as, you know, normal relationships with your husband or with your wife. That is glorious in God. God invented that. God says in that verse, marriage is honorable among all and the bed is undefiled. Have at it is the idea. As often, enjoy each other fully, you know. That has to be said. Because unfortunately, a lot of us didn't grow up in households that had a healthy understanding of what biblical sex looked like, or what it was supposed to be, or even got talked to about it. We're pretty open at my house. Hard to make my girls blush. We talk about it, you know, and the boys. But there's nothing to be secretive about. It's an absolutely beautiful thing. I mean, it's it's how we reproduce. It's how we have babies. It's how we have kids. It's by design. You can't do it any other way. It's absolutely stunning and amazing, and there's no other feeling like it. <laughs> the virgins in the room are going, I know. Thank you for telling me. <laughs> yep. It's got to be talked about because it's amazing and beautiful. It's meant to be like fireworks, and it is. And so enjoy one another. Now, the gift of celibacy, Jesus mentions it a little bit. Doesn't elaborate on it, but he does bring it up in Matthew chapter 19, verses 9 through 12. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. And his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man and his wife or with his wife, it is better not to marry. We ought better not get married. We'd hate to have that happen. And Jesus said to him, it says, but 
he said to them, All cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, those who have this gift of celibacy, who were born thus from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it. And they're just talking about the gift of celibacy there. Some were born that way. I could be single and care less. I don't even think about that thing. You don't? You know? No. Oh, well, good for you, I, I guess. Um, it does take that out of the equation. It causes you then to focus on the kingdom. You know? It's not an issue. It's not something you have to deal with. So there is that blessing. Now, um, In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, on the opposite end of this, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times that some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. That's the point. We'll go on. And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer. The point of that is, one of those attributes in the last days will be people will forbid to marry. And I think we see that in a denomination or in a group of Christians that believe that all Men of God cannot be married. If you don't have the gift of celibacy um, and you're forced into that because you only know that denomination and you think that is the only way and that's what they teach, you're either in or you're out. And you want to be a man of God, you feel that call in your life and they say, well, one of those payments to be a man of God in our denomination is for you to no longer even have that. Okay, You can't make that happen. And I think that's why we see a lot of perversion. I think you have a lot of men who have accepted a call because God probably really authentically called them to worship him and to serve him wholeheartedly. But to not have a wife as payment is putting them in a position where all sorts of thoughts and imaginations and unhealthy ways, because once you get away from the biblically prescribed method of marriage, one man and one woman, and you venture off into something other than that, fornication and and other things. Well, it's all fornication, but you open yourself up to everything Satan has in that realm. It's all dark. Some say it's, well, it's a light gray here and it gets darker and darker the further you get away. No, it's all black. It's all dark. It's all sin. It's all from the pit of hell. All of it. Some say, you know, it's only a playboy. Mm -mm. It's all connected. It's all connected. The money's all connected. The people are all connected. Everything that Hugh Hefner did with Playboy magazine is all connected, all the way to child pornography, all the way to the human traffic. It's all connected. So when you think you're dabbling or doing something that's sort of light gray, you're not. You're guilty of that all the way to the end. It's the same. 
And so when you cause a bunch of men that they, you can't, you have to deny your flesh, you have to deny that hunger, it's not, it doesn't exist, pretend it does, and it does. It's a very real thing in their life. You find them doing all sorts of things. And that's not only in that denomination, it goes much further than that. This can happen in any denomination. But specifically speaking of 1 Timothy 4, 5, they, 4, 1 through 5, they actually forbid the marriage. You're asking for it. You're setting up men for failure if they don't have that gift. In Luke chapter 17, verses 26 through 30, and as it is, was written, or as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted. Now, the reason I bring this up is because although he's talking about marriage, and he's talking about divorce, and he's talking about widows and widows. Jesus says, and this is where authority comes from, obviously, people are going to be getting married their whole, all the way up until the end. That's normal. Now, Paul saying, I, you know, don't get married if you don't have to, was immediate and essential for the time, thinking that Jesus was coming soon. But Jesus said, no, they're going to be given in marriage all the way till the end, all the way till the end. So, he covers all that. Verse 10. Now, to the married, those are to the single people. <laughs> to the single people who get married if you can't abstain. Now, to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So now I'm switching from, this is, this is not a command, but it's just a concession. Now he switches gears saying, no, this is a command. God said this. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. Paul wants to bring that in there because the Corinthian church is going from one step to another. They're going from one thing to another. You know, is this okay? You know, okay, good. Okay, so then we're supposed to do this. And then they jump all the way over here. So then I can get rid of my wife, right? I mean, it's better to be unmarried. You just said so. No, 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 no. Stay married. And so he's trying to bring it in. He's trying to pull it all together here. I want you to stay as you are. Verse 12, but to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, and that's this key phrase that the world is picking up on and Christendom is picking up on. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Because that's where they were going with that. That's why he started that first, that last paragraph. Hey, stay married. Just stay married. Stay where you are. Because, and now he fills in the gaps, if she, as an unbeliever, is willing to live with you, a believer, don't divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Which is the point of all of this. So you get saved, you know, and your wife's like, hey, I still want to go party. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm still going out. Are you coming with me? No, I really don't think I should do that anymore. I really feel like God wants me. To, I'm a born-again believer. I didn't sign up for this garbage, you know. And there's this war that happens every Friday night or Saturday night when the party usually would start. But now, oh, you know, Mr. Goody Two-Shoes won't come with me to the bars or won't come with me to do this, that, or the other thing. 
I'm out of here. Paul says, let them go if they want to go. If they cannot live with you in peace, let them go. You're not under bondage in such cases. But if they're willing to live with you, that's a long road. I'm not going to be flippant about that. I understand that. To, to just get married as unbelievers and then come to know Jesus Christ and your wife two years into the marriage isn't saved and doesn't want to be saved and you're looking at 50 years of living with an unsaved person. Paul says, live with them. Here's, here's why I, don't, I, I can say this and I, and I, and I, I can encourage it and I, not, not because I approve of it. God's word is God's word, but here's how I understand it. I get this. Because we, we compartmentalize our Christianity sometimes. And if you don't know what that means, that means you take Christianity and you keep it in its place. It's Sundays and it's Wednesday evenings. And that's it. And I'll give you an example. Suppose sometimes I'll see my doctor at High V. Bothers me. He's out of context. You know? He's at the hospital. Brian, what are you doing at High V getting chips? You know? It's weird to see him. I love him. Great guy. I really do appreciate him. But he's out of context. I've compartmentalized Brian. There he is, you know. But Brian has a life, you know. Brian has a wife and kids and sports and things and everything. He's everywhere, you know. And when I see him out of context, that's because I've compartmentalized people and things. We can do that with our relationship with Jesus Christ. He's here. That's what we do there. And over here, we don't do that. When it comes to our family members, our unsaved family members are the same as any unbeliever on the street that we're trying to witness to. You've just been given a captive audience, though, who has to listen to you constantly. It's, it's, your, it's your unsaved person. It's the sharing of the gospel, living the gospel, practicing the gospel all the time. It isn't something to escape Street witnessing is compartmentalizing your evangelism. Oh, well, on Friday nights, I go out from 7 to 10, and then I'm done evangelizing. And I come home, and I, and I binge watch, and I do whatever. And then next Friday night, I go out from 7 to 9, and I, I hand out tracts. And then 9 o'clock, it's done. I'm going to my car. And we carp. No, evangelism, evangelism is constant. It's 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And so what Paul is saying, your unsaved wife or your unsaved husband is that person. And you practice living for Christ all the time, not just from 7 to 9 p.m. on a Friday night when you go out street witnessing. You'll actually be a better, more solid Christian by staying. The things of this world aren't nearly as important. You're heavenly minded all the time. You're constantly in scripture and in prayer your walk with Jesus gets deeper and deeper because of this unsaved person you're going to wake up with every single day and they're watching your every move. It's a lot, I know, but it's a calling. And Paul says, accept that calling. Now, inevitably, I get questions about what do you mean sanctified? Well, the whole family is set apart because of the unbeliever. There is collateral damage for sin, but there's also collateral blessing. Just by being around someone who's a born-again believer, there is some blessing that kind of washes off. You can't help it. If, a, if an unbelieving uh, owner of a business hires a believing subordinate, you know, you're going you're gonna to lead that roofing job, you know. Um, 
and, and I want you to do it. And all of a sudden, the roofs are just getting done, and they're really getting done well there because he's doing as everything is unto the Lord. He's not ripping you off your time. He's not, his time cards are accurate. He's not trying to get a little bit more here and 15 minutes here, and if enough 15 minutes added up together, I'll get a whole another two hours at the end of the week. He's not thinking that way. He's not pocketing pens or taking tools home and selling them on the, you're blessed as an unbelieving owner because you've hired this believer who just does everything like he's supposed to do. And you're like, oh, there's sanctification taking place there. That's the idea. Your unbelieving husband gets the blessing of having a believing wife who's going to be faithful, who's going to love him, who's going to do whatever she can do and be a beautiful witness to him. All the blessings that God gives to a believer that a believer enjoys, he now enjoys. You get the idea. That's sanctification. Children, being holy. Well, we don't know exactly what that means, except this. It's possible that there is um, something to go along with an unbelieving child or a, a, a child who's in a believing household is if the rapture was to take place or, God forbid, an accident or something where it takes the family, the child goes to heaven. Whereas I have a hard time with this theory. You can see that's why I'm stumbling through it. But whereas if they're just unbelievers, we don't know. Well, I know that God has a lot of grace and mercy and I, and I trust him and his judgment on all children, but we really don't have scriptures that tell us about all children go to heaven. We don't have it. Um, we assume that because they seem innocent and there's an age of accountability. We don't know what that age is. Um, but there's a point in time when a person has to make that decision for themselves, and we don't know where that is. We've got some ideas, 20 years and under, um, 13, 5, we don't know. Um, so there is this, um, but the, the, the believing husband or the believing wife sanctifies these kids, sets them apart. Maybe it's because they share the gospel with them all the time or because they're being raised in a godly home and you train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. That could be a part of it too. Um, but I'm not, I don't want to be dogmatic on that. We're not exactly sure what he means by this. Um, so how do you know if they won't get saved? You don't. That could be very well their way of salvation. Verse 17. Oh, I want to do these verses. Let me do 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Sorry. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. I put that in there at the end of verse 16 because sometimes the husband or the wife never gets saved. I wish it was a happy ending. I wish it wasn't like that. And that eventually, after 20 years of faithful witnessing, they get saved. Sometimes they don't. Okay. Um, Paul was given this thorn in his flesh. It was allowed to buffet him. It says it's a messenger. Some think it was his illness. I don't. It's given the description of a person who is a messenger of Satan. You know, I don't know that an illness is a messenger of Satan, but maybe. But this is someone that kept Paul humble, that kept him in his place, that kept him uh, in, in a place of constant need of God and his grace and his mercy. Some actually you know, believe that it's, it may be sin, and I know that's not, I know that's not a, a correct theory. Um, but a person. And so that husband or wife that's an unbeliever, does cause us to move closer to God all the time, but we're in that constant place, as I described earlier. And so that's why I wanted to throw that verse in there. Paul had that thorn, even though he wasn't married. Um, he still had that messenger of Satan that kept him, you know, um, trusting in the grace. Grace is sufficient, you know. Verse 17, 
But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain, or I direct, in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? Let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, well, use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in, this, or in that state in which he was called. So the question was, what should we do now? Should we, now that we're born again believers, should we run from our slave owners? And the idea is, um, they're not, some of them probably were slaves in Rome, um, like actual, you know, human trafficking slaves. Some were bond servants where they said, yeah, I'll work for you for seven years, live in your household, and you're going to pay off my debt. Either way, either way, Paul says, this is where you live. This is where you were called. This is where you minister. You know, Paul uh, and Silas, in the middle of the prison, although unjustly accused, incarcerated, said, this is where we minister tonight. And they sang songs to the Lord, and everybody in the prison got saved, and even the prison guard got saved. So what Paul is trying to do is to, to not worry about our circumstances so much, but understand your ministry is wherever you are, regardless of whether it was earned or not, whether it was just or unjust, that's where your ministry is, and to serve God there. So he's saying, just stay where you are. Now, if you could become free, he says, by all means, get free. You know, If the guy says, yeah, you can go, don't stay. And Paul says, I'm supposed to remain as I am. No, 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 by all means, use that. Use that freedom to now serve him in other places and go. But don't worry about that. Don't be so concerned with that. And also, don't, don't entangle yourself. In other words, don't become a bond slave. Don't put yourself under someone's authority for seven years. You don't know what God wants to do with you for seven years. Don't say that I'll work for you for seven years because you don't know. So don't do that either. Don't, don't put yourself in bondage. So keep yourself the way you are. Several verses to go along with this. I'll breeze through these. 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit, meaning it's, Jesus is the great equalizer. Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Some of those things you can change, some of them you can't, Jesus is the great equalizer. And then finally, Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, bond servants, those of you who are in that position, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. Not with eye service as men or men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. In other words, if you're going to work, work like you're working for Jesus, like he's your foreman. Okay? Do your best. With goodwill doing service um, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. Makes no difference. Serve him. And you masters, people that are born again masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. So before you get out the whip, just remember your boss has a whip too, you know, and his name's Jesus. And he's done it before. Remember that 
tail, that cat of, cat of nine tails that he made, and beat everybody and got them out of the temple. He'll do it again. You need to be careful. You're going to be accountable to your boss. Make sure you're treating your, um, your workers the same way. So then we'll finish up here. Now, concerning virgins, uh, this can mean young women or just anybody who's been married. And, and this is a funny thing culturally. Um, there were actually those in the Corinthian church at the time, and this is from church history. It's not in scripture. Um, that they just got married, but they both got saved and they decided it was better not to consummate the relationship. We're just, that's all flesh. That's fleshy stuff. We're not doing fleshy stuff like that. And so, you know, there they were uh, in the same bed, but not doing it. So he's, he's going to talk about that a little bit. Now concerning virgins, they must have had a big question about virgins. I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. So there's his authority. I'm not giving you a commandment, but I am telling you what I believe is true and right. I suppose, therefore, that it is good, because of the present distress, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be loosed. Are you loosed from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she's not sinned. Nevertheless, such will have trouble in the flesh, but I would spare you. Now, we make jokes about that at marriage conferences all the time. Avoid getting married because, oh, boy, you're going to have problems. You know, it's not what he means. He's talking about the tribulations they're going through. Right now, they're in the midst of a dispersion where there's so much persecution against the church that people are having to flee their jobs, their homes, and everything just to get away from the persecution so they don't get fed to lions or whatever. Okay, That's happening right now. And so he's saying, given the current situation we find ourselves in, I think marrying's the last of our concerns. Run, you know, is the idea. If you can remain free, remain free. Um, if you can't, you can't. And again, this goes right along with this, verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep, as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice, as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Right before our very eyes, Jesus is coming any moment is the idea. Now, Seth just brought this up. He goes, why would he say verse 20? It's such a weird thing. Why would you say to remain as you are even though you're married? Well, he was saying earlier that if you're married, you're going to have to be really concerned. Or he's going to follow up here. If you're married, you're going to have to be really concerned about your wife's needs. And if you're married, you're going to have to really be concerned about your husband's needs. He's saying that is the case, but I want you to live for Christ. Even in that, even in that, be revolutionaries for Jesus Christ. Be radically saved. Be missionaries. If you're going to run for persecution, run together, but do it for Jesus is the idea. So in other words, you need to live for Christ, but as a married couple, okay? Um, Verse 32, but I want you to be without care. I want you to be, so he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. And he may please the, the Lord. That's what, he, that's what he thinks about most of the time. A single person, I ah, just want to do what God wants me to do. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. There's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, look what he says. And this I say, Uh, for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction, 
So if you have the gift of celibacy and you can remain single, by all means, do it and serve the Lord. You can just take off. You don't have to ask. You don't have to make plans. You can sleep in your car on the side of the road. You don't have to worry about anybody else's comfort but your own. You, know, you just go. If you're married, you can't do that. You need to be thoughtful and compassionate and care about that person. And yes, the things of this world become more important because you want to make sure they're taken care of. And that's why he says, and that's proper, and that's correct, and that is right to do. It's not wrong. People, you know, ah, you know, they look at their wives and say, ah, you're a distraction. You're, you're getting in the way of my ministry. No, 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 no. no you, you have a ministry now. This is it. Ah, the kids. The kids are always going, oh, I remember when I was single, I could, oh, be quiet, you know. No, your kids are your ministry now. That's it. Do what's right. Do what's proper. Be concerned with their health. Be concerned with their food and their shelter and all that. You get to be that in their lives. You know, do that. So he's saying, do what's right. Um, take care of them. Um, Proverbs eighteen twenty two. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And then Ephesians 5. That's the big marriage one that he writes years later. Okay. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Paul's realizing, oh, there's a picture here. Something's taking place in marriage. You know, a husband leading a family is like Christ leading the church. A, a, a wife following her husband is like a church actually following the word of God and doing what Jesus says. It's amazing. Do that. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this is where Paul gets it. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the, the wife see that she respects her husband. And so he follows up with all that and says it's a good thing to be married. So Paul here, finishing up with virgins, um, Maybe talking about daughters still at home and maybe talking about the other scenario that I was sharing with you, people that just hadn't consummated the relationship. But if any man thinks he's behaving improperly towards his virgin, if she is past the flower of youth, and thus it must be, let him do what he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will and has so determined in his heart, that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well. He who does not give her in marriage does better. A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes. Only the Lord. Um, only in the Lord. So you can only marry believers, you know. Um, make sure you marry a believer. 
but she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. And I think I, ha- I also have the Spirit of God. Now, we went long, and that's where we have to go. I'm sure there are questions, so I'll be around if you want to ask other questions. But that was a, uh, you, can't skip, you can't divide that chapter up. You kind of got to cover it all. So good job for sticking around a little bit longer. Let's pray. Lord, we love you for, your, uh, for, for all that you are. You care about all these things. You gave us basic guidelines um, how to live our lives, to be led of the Spirit, and to let your Holy Spirit lead and guide us. And when we do that, that'll take care of all these little scenarios. But we thank you for Paul for specifically writing and answering questions. And that causes us to also learn that as believers, we need to be ready to give specific answers, even in our own estimation, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we'd ask for wisdom, have a word of knowledge, and be able to share that with people around us, what we believe, um, and what we believe your word teaches, even in specific situations. And so uh, we thank you for his example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good night, guys.